That little boy was in our service last week and he was paying attention. In, in the event that you were not with us last week, uh, we began our new series called Remarkable. It's our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And last week, we were uh, looking at uh, chapter 1, where we saw that the Lord had compassion on a man who had leprosy. And the man said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. You can cleanse me. And the Lord said, I'm willing. And he cleansed the leper. And we made the connection how uh, the Lord has compassion upon us as well. And uh, he is willing to not just heal us physically, but leprosy also symbolizes uh, sin, which can uh, bring such havoc into our life. And the Lord has compassion on us, and he can heal us uh, physically, and he can heal us from those sins that tend to destroy our life. And today, our journey takes us into chapter 2, and we are going to look at the first 12 verses. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is this he's saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. And so we asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Father, we come before you now and we pray for the grace that we need to share the thoughts that you placed in our hearts, oh God. I want to say only what you want me to say. I want to do only what you want me to do. And as always, I pray, God, would you open up our understanding, each and every single one of us, so that we can hear what you want to say to us today, and we can understand in our hearts and our lives could align up with your word today. And I thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. All right. So if we've just read, Jesus returns now to Capernaum, and the home where he was staying, word got out, and as we have read, so many visitors showed up 
that now the house was packed. There was no more room in the house, and people began even to stand outside the doors uh, uh, just to be able to get within earshot of listening to the Lord as he was preaching God's word. And uh, these four guys, we don't, we're not given their names. They're just four men uh, that came uh, knowing that Jesus was there. And as the Bible said, they were carrying this a man who was paralyzed. Uh, and they just they couldn't get past the crowd to get the man in to, to get to Jesus. So they did something that was totally unexpected. Uh, they, they got to the roof. In those days, houses were built with stairs that went all the way up into the roof so that if you wanted to go to the roof, you could just go up by the stairs on the outside of the house. And obviously, that's what they did. They climbed up, and uh, they didn't come, I'm sure, prepared to tear the roof apart because they didn't, probably didn't think that they would have to do that. And so uh, they get up to the roof, and they begin to take the roof apart with their bare hands, and they create this hole that's big enough for this man who's lying on a mat to be lowered down right before Jesus. Uh, and when the Bible says now that Jesus saw their faith, meaning the, the, the faith of these four men, uh, that they, they, they are, their action was a physical manifestation or evidence of their faith. And so, really, what it was telling us simply is that they came believing that Jesus could and would heal this man that was paralyzed. And so, Jesus now responded to their faith, proclaiming that this man's sin was forgiven. Now, we also saw that in this room were religious leaders who had come to sit and listen to Jesus as well. When Jesus declared that this man's sin was forgiven in their hearts right away, they, thought they had a huge problem with that because according to their understanding, only God could forgive sin, which they were correct on that. And so they're thinking, this man is blaspheming. This man is saying things that is outright untrue, uh, unforgivable. He's claiming, in other words, to be God in forgiving sins. Interesting also, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Which, just as a, a side note, if I could uh, just throw this out for all of us. When you're in church sitting as you're sitting right now, or maybe you're watching on the internet. Listen, God knows exactly what you're thinking. You may be thinking, that guy up there doesn't have a clue of what he's saying, and you might be right. <laughs> and the Lord also hears what you're saying. You, nobody else may hear what you're saying, but God knows exactly what's going on in all of our hearts. So we really need to be careful even about what we're thinking when we're in church. Okay, that was one for free in there, just just let you know. So now, uh, Jesus, knowing what they're saying, said, hey, wait, guys, time out. Which is easier, to tell this guy your sins are forgiven or to tell him to stand up and walk? So let me demonstrate to you that I have the authority to forgive sin. He tells, looks at the man, he says, stand up, walk, take up your mat and just go home. And all of a sudden, the man not just stands up, he jumps up, picks up his mat, and he just starts booking home. And everybody 
is in awe. They'd never seen anything like this before. Now, let's make the connection to you and I today to, to see what God is wanting to speak to our lives. This text, I believe, uh, highlights a life that's been restored. And that's the title of our message here today, A Life Restored. And there are four uh, points that I want to highlight from our text. Let me begin with number one, and that's the destructive power of sin. This man's physical condition was as a result of a sinful decision he had made in his life. That's what the, the law was implying when he looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. There's the implication that his physical condition was as a result of some sin in his life. We're not told what it is. We're not told how it came about. Uh, but it's important that we recognize that not all sin, excuse me, not all sickness, not all disease is as a result of sin. At the point I mentioned that to all of us here today. In this case, it was, but not all the time is it. But it's important nonetheless that we recognize the destructive power that sin has in all of our lives. Listen to what the book of James in, in chapter uh, 1. I'm going to turn there quickly, verse 14 and 15. All right, James chapter 1. Listen to verse 14 and 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to simple actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to what? When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. In other words, the Bible is saying when there's sin in our life, and we don't turn away from that sin, which is the fancy word called repentance, meaning to turn away from a sinful lifestyle. When we don't turn away, there's a process that begins to unfold in our life. And that sin, as it begins to grow in our life, it ultimately produces death, whether it's physical death or certainly spiritual death, and sometimes even both. Ultimately, Sin produces death. And in the context of our message today, let's liken it to spiritual paralysis. Now, sin has tremendous destructive power. Now, here's something that's important for us to remember. We should never, ever believe the lie that we will not suffer consequences for our sins. Listen to me now. Let me say that one more time. We should never, ever believe the lie that there will not be consequences for our sins, that we will suffer. Uh, listen to the very first lie that was told in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, it says, You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. The woman was there, the, the serpent was there who symbolizes Satan, the devil, and uh, there's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which uh, they were forbidden to eat any of the fruit of that, and the serpent comes to the woman 
and the woman repeats what God has said, which means she understood God very clearly. God said, the day we eat of that fruit, we will surely die. The serpent comes and totally contradicts God and tells the, the woman, you won't die. In other words, God is lying. There will be no consequences for your disobedience. There will be no consequences for your sinning against God. And as we know the story, she wound up believing him and took of the fruit, and then she gave it to Adam, and Adam ate, and thus the fall of man entered into God's creation where sin entered the world through that disobedience. And there was a consequence to them which they ultimately uh, began to experience the deterioration in their body and ultimately died in God's word was true. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how many times we get trapped by this lie. It was a lie first told in the garden, and it's a lie that's still told today. It won't happen to me. There won't be any consequences. I know for me, that's what I believe when I started getting into drugs. I saw all my friends getting hooked on drugs and ultimately dying. But like a fool, I believe the lie. It won't happen to me. I'll be the exception to the rule. And, uh, and, and I began that journey, and it took me to a place where it almost cost me a life physically. Uh, but it began to destroy my life in so many ways. Listen to me, no matter what temptation comes our way, we need to recognize when we succumb to that temptation, if we leave that thing unrepented of, if we don't turn away from that, it will produce death in our life. It will produce that spiritual paralysis in our life. It will bring destruction into our life. Are you following me? Okay. It's important that we lay that first one down, that the destructive power of sin now, right behind that, it's important we look at number two, which is the redemptive authority of Christ. Now, by redemption, uh, redemptive, I mean the ability to fully restore life. That's the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I have been given all authority. The word all there means total and complete. The Lord had bestowed upon Jesus, his son, complete authority, total authority. And so he has the ability to restore life. He has all power, all authority that he can redeem and uh, our life that has been destroyed by sin. In other words, when we make poor choices, we begin to self-destruct. And yet Jesus, who is rich in mercy, has the authority not only to forgive sin, but to fully restore our life. Would you say amen to that? The so number one is the destructive power of sin. And number two is the redemptive authority of Christ. And here's number three from our text. Some people need help getting to Jesus. In other words, there are lives that are so paralyzed by sin that they can't get to Jesus on their own. 
They need help. As we see these four men in our text who carried this paralytic, uh, we, we saw that last week uh, that Jesus was filled with compassion for the leper, and he touched his life. This past Wednesday night in our prayer service, we looked at this word compassion, and we talked about compassion in action because compassion is this action that we take that's founded upon our empathy, where we begin to feel what other people feel. We begin to see their pain, and it's, it's something that is more than just, I feel you. It's uh, this compassion that wells up is causes me to say, I have to do something. It creates some form of action. And that's what we saw and prayed for Wednesday night, that we as the people of God would be filled with compassion to the measure as we see people's lives being impacted by sin, that we would be so moved that it would cause us that we have to do something. Are you following me now? So you have these men, these four men, uh, their compassion uh, led them to bring this man to Jesus. Now, the, again, I, I love this story because of the fact that when they get there, there is no room in the house. And it would be easy for them to turn around and say, well, do we try? And, so, and, and, and just take him back wherever they, they came from. Uh, but... Because of their compassion, they just couldn't let it go at that. And so now they, 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 the four of them worked their way up onto the, took the stairs to get up on the, onto the roof, which couldn't have been easy either carrying uh, a grown man up some stairs. But then they get there and they decide, we've got to put a hole in this roof. They have no tools, so they had to use their bare hands to dig through this uh, hardened mud and grass and everything that began to grow on the roof and there were tiles in the Gospel of Luke. They talk about that there were tiles in their house and all of this stuff, this thing that they had to do, they were willing to really go the extra mile. Think about this, that they were willing to tear up somebody's house. It's believed, by the way, that the, the house that they were in was Peter's house, one of the disciples. Can you imagine if you're sitting there and you're listening to Jesus? Let me pull this up here. And, and you're Peter, and Jesus is really preaching a storm up, and oh, this is great, this is great. And all of a sudden you look up and dust starts falling down in dirt. And these guys are ripping up your house. And you're like, dude, what are you doing? That's my house, that's my roof. And big enough to the measure that you can lower a full-grown man who's lying in a mat down. That had to be pretty substantial size that these guys were digging. God only knows what happened afterwards. Right? You're like, I hope you're going to fix that. I hope you're going to pay for that. Their compassion caused them to come to a place where they just wouldn't accept defeat. They wouldn't accept walking away without getting this person to Jesus. So here's a question I have for us to consider this morning. What are we willing to do to get people to Jesus? How far, in other words, are we willing to go to get people to Jesus? There are people, you know, it's, it, it, 
it's our human nature to say, God, let's, let's pray them in. And that's wonderful, and we need to pray. But there are people that will never grace these doors unless you bring them. Right? They're, they're so paralyzed, they can't see themselves ever getting into a church. So the question is, what are we willing to do to get them in? How far are we willing to go? Are we willing to go and pick them up? Are we willing to say, hey, I'll tell you what, you come to church with me, and I'll take you out to a great meal afterwards. And not that dog stop stuff. I'll get you some. We're going to get you some. Real, we're taking Morton Steakhouse. You know, we're going to do it right. Are you willing to go that far? Now, here's the good news. You don't have to rip off our roof to get them in. But are we willing to go the extra mile to get people in to see Jesus, to get them into his presence? So, number one, come on, what was number one? Talk to me. The destruction, power of sin. Does it? Number two, the redemptive authority of Christ. Number three, the recognition. Some people need help getting to Jesus. And here's number four. Listen, Jesus responds to our faith. And by our faith, meaning this, I want you to realize something here this morning. We have the capacity to impact lives through our faith. And by that, I mean this. We have the capacity to move the heart of God to touch another person's life by our faith, you see. Jesus responds to our faith, not the faith of the paralyzed man, but to the faith of the four that did all of that just to get this person in his presence. Our faith has the capacity to move the heart of God. But here's the question for us, my second question. Do we truly believe that Jesus can and will restore the lives of those that we bring to him? That's the question. Do we truly believe, man, if I, can, if I get my dad here, I believe God is going to touch his life. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that, that that brother that's so far from God, that just the mention of Jesus brings curses to his mouth, do I truly believe, man, if I could just get him into God's presence, God's going to touch his life. He'll never be the same. Do I really believe that? You see? Worship team, if you would come and help me, please. I believe that the Lord loves to restore the lives of those who are paralyzed. What do I mean by that? There were a lot of people in the home that day, weren't there? But only one got healed. But notice, it created a response in everybody's life. They were amazed. They, everybody was so in awe, they could not believe what God had done in the, restoring this man's life. I believe that there are lives that are paralyzed by sin. People that God wants to bring us in contact with to see, are you willing to go the extra mile? 
to do whatever you got to do to get them into my presence. Do you believe that I can turn that life around? Do you believe? Do you have the faith to believe that that life, I can do something that will amaze everyone? I believe that today. Because you see, at one point, I was a paralyzed man. And I remember when my brothers used to encourage me, just come to church and come to church. And I'm like, man, I'm never going to go to there. That's not for me. But see, they got to a point where I realized, unless something drastically happens, like all my friends, I'm going to die a drug addict. And so one day when my brothers asked me, Will you go to church with us? I said, okay. And I went, and it was in that very first church service that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, it's amazing what God can do when people get into his presence. And I want to encourage you here today. God put this word in my heart for all of us so that we could recognize there is no life beyond the saving reach of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. Listen, listen to me. Even if they're in that state because of their own bad decisions, think about the incredible mercies of God. Jesus knew that guy is in a bad way because he's made all the wrong choices in his life. Did Jesus stand up and say, you should have not done that. You should have not made those decisions. You should not have gone those ways. He didn't do any of that. He looked at the, the faith of those four men, and he looked at the man and he said, your sins are forgiven. And something must have triggered in that man's heart. Because as Jesus now addressed the religious leaders, and he's lying in there, and all of a sudden, Jesus said, I'm going to give this man the command. And all of a sudden, Jesus told that man, get up. And the man, Yeah. And all of a sudden, he realized, I'm healed. And he picked up his mat, and he just strutted on out and amazed everybody. And I can only imagine what it was like when he got home. And all of a sudden, his family is there. And he's like, check this out. And they must have told him, what happened? met Jesus and he did this you see it begins to unfold and go on and on to glorify God now I know that we all know those who are paralyzed some of them are family members some of them are friends some of them are co-workers or neighbors the question that's before us today is what are we willing to do to get them into the presence of the Lord? Are we willing to do that little extra so that we can see God work a miracle in their life? Would you stand with me?